entrance wounds, exit wounds, hello and welcome and bon voyage, baby. Hello and welcome to the Index School podcast. This is Madison Hying. And this is John Myers. Last week, composer and flautist Anne LaBerge was here in Santa Cruz for a performance Saturday evening at the Radius Gallery. Madison and I had the chance to sit down with Anne on Wednesday to speak about her work. We talked about the program for the concert, her unique performance practice, and using technology to extend the flute. Musical selections from Anne's performance will be interspersed throughout our conversation. We will hear clips from Anne's new piece, Utter, David Dram's Telemachus, and Yanis Kirikides' Onira Criticon. Lastly, if you've enjoyed listening to our podcast, please consider making a donation to Indexical so that we can continue to bring interesting artists like Mayan, Jack, and Anne to Santa Cruz. Donations can be made at Indexical.org. Thank you for listening. So just to start, um, thank you for being here and being willing to talk to us, Anne. You're welcome. Um, I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the concert that you're going to be doing here in Santa Cruz this weekend, a little bit about the pieces and the performers. We're traveling. David Dram and I, my husband and I, are on tour, and I've been playing a whole concert. But because we're splitting the bill, we decided to play about four-fifths of the concert. No, three-fifths of the concert. That's exactly what we're doing. <laughs> we're playing three-fifths of the concert. One piece is by David, and it's a piece that was originally for a dance production about the Odyssey. And this section, I played Telemachus, and this section is where um, this piece is about the father looking for the son, Telemachus. And in the dance production, somebody else was speaking in Dutch, and it was pre-recorded. They were speaking over the music of David's, and I was playing, improvising, and playing over that track. And what the track is, is it's at least 15 flutes playing on top of one another. And then this guy talking. So what has happened with this performance is David speaks. He's translated it into English and made it more personal. So he talks, and I accompany him going in and out of this flute wall and then at the end, I come on and play a short solo. So that's the first piece. It's, it's Father Looking for Son. And then the second piece is this piece that I made called Utter, which is not Mother Looking for Daughter or Daughter Looking for Mother, but it does have some relationships, and it does relate to the same kind of tensions of looking and seeking. And it has a mythological quality. It, it has ended up also having somewhat of a modern mythological quality. And that piece uses technology in, a, in not a new way, but in a way that's new to me, which is interacting with iPads. And it's, it's so exciting because every time there's some issues coming up, <laughs> and I'm learning more and more what those are because the iPads have an app that was made for this piece which means that no one knows quite sure what all the uh, issues, what all the problems, but also the advantages. And I'm, I'm making a new piece using the same app, and we're able to use some things that weren't used in the other piece. The last piece on the concert is by Yanis Kyriakidis. 
And it's based on the book of Daniel. And he uses vocabulary from the book of Daniel. He's Greek. So it's also mythological. Yeah. You know, there we are, <laughs> these two people on the stage with these little iPads, you know, talking and playing the flute. But it's all, it, it all has this, um, this long curve to it as far as what it's associated with. And this piece, the uh, iPads, at first it was a program in processing. That was what mm -hmm. the piece was built in. And this group that I play in called Maze, six people would use laptops spread out among the public and we would only use the the out the sound out from the laptops with a tiny little JBL speaker so it was small sound and then Yanis had someone build an app which has also had some incredible issues when I've been up to midnight with Yanis on the telephone saying this is not starting this is starting but the app is working and we turn on a a, a visual system that brings in vocabulary, words and sentences, mm -hmm. and also sign tones and little tss, tss noises. Mm -hmm. And we can play the iPads in a limited way, which is, for me, a great pleasure that the iPads now are traveling. The only thing about that is everyone thinks that they can borrow them for their pieces. <laughs> that somehow I wrote a grant and I car can carry these iPads around, so it means everyone can write a piece to borrow the iPads. <laughs> That's interesting. Does, so, uh, I was just wondering about the, the kind of level of interactivity that, what kind of controls do these iPad apps have? Or are they we, listening? Is well, it autonomous? Um, the one for Utter, it's called Interactive Slides, it has the capability to uh, receive information that we're, we're using Macs to communicate with it. It probably could be other programs, but because the people I'm working with are Macs people, that makes it, you know, kind of a done deal. It, and also, in, um, when you touch the iPad, it sends coordinate information, you know, where your X and, and mm -hmm. Y um, location is, it sends it back to the computer, which means that people can touch it to send data back to the computer, and the computer can send data back to the iPads. What we've been using now are JPEGs, so pictures, mm -hmm. and but not just pictures, but you can have a JPEG of a color. So we've been using JPEGs and very short films. It can't take long films. You can't load them because every time you start the piece up, you have to reload this data. So just these clips. Yeah, little teeny clips. Mm -hmm. cool. Entrance wounds. Exit wounds. Hello and welcome and bon voyage, baby. <laughs> I'm scared of the sea and scared of all land. Homesick, seasick, ground sick, every day. I'm home bored, sea bored, ground bored, chairman of the board. Here, on this shore, 
I don't remember if I even had a son. But if I did, I'd, I'd call them telemockers. Distant battle to remind him that I was far away killing people for love. Get started already or starve here. That's the only choice. But the question is not where you're going. It's rather where you're escaping from. Your days of youth will be filled with longing as they were when I was young. I wish I could say I went to war to protect you, but I didn't. I needed either someone to love or someone to kill. And now, I'm coming back. Don't think about the infinite amount of steps you will have to take. Just make the first step and the road will appear. You will travel with that same absurd courage of a baby, which finds itself at the bottom of a staircase, wanting to go through, singing softly, because singing walks in front of you, as I do. And whatever you find upstairs doesn't matter. Perhaps it's, maybe it's fighting a distant battle that's easier than fighting the one that's close to you. When you've said goodbye often enough, the saying hello part comes so easy. tracking me as someone to kill. Telemarkers.
telemarketers. You will go around corners expecting there your distant battle. But the man you'll see, telemarketers, will be me, your father unseen. Shake my hand before I am washed ashore, lifeless. Telemachus, I've left my traces for you, so you'll find me, call to me, and kill me. Somewhere along the unexpected road. And then and there, you will save me from facing all the dreams I could not reach. As you call me, I know you follow my footsteps to the market, to retrace so hopelessly the mistakes that I have made.
I'm really interested that, so your work, at least what I've seen and the pieces that you're describing are very um, multimedia pieces that are very, seem theatrical. So there's some, definitely a performative element um, beyond just performing your instrument that it's, there's some acting involved and languages involved and there's visuals on the iPad, but then also sound. So I don't know if you could speak to that at all. Like, have it, has your work always been like that or is that something that you've worked through or started doing more over time? Well, because I've always been a very physical performer, when I'm present on stage, my sense was that um, the public and I are going through something, <laughs> even if it was a piece composed by, say, Larry Polanski, a local sure. composer. <laughs> My sense was, here we all are doing this, and and that the theater was was limited, but still complete for mm-hmm. what the intention was, an oral experience. But I, I, I see music performance, again, as a, you know, it's, it's sort of a dance in one place. Limbs are moving, mm-hmm. and there's all kinds of physical and sonic action. And with my own work, I, well, what it is, and this is the way I describe it to people, is that I'm not a songwriter. It would be really nice if I were a songwriter because I have things I would like to say. But I'm a classical flute player, and I somehow deeply believe that if my talents don't lie in one area... Instead of trying to make all that up, I might as well just let that go and use my talents to make up for what I can't do. So I'm not a songwriter. I would love to be a dancer. I'm not a dancer. I didn't have the body for it. <laughs> it would be okay to be an actor, but I can't <laughs> sit around. And I'm not socially uh, put, uh, put together in a way that actors are, clearly. I don't like spending time with other people. <laughs> but not, I mean, I'm lear- I've learned. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. apologize for making you yeah. be here with us. Yeah. <laughs> Extroverted introvert. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I recognize my personal complications, and I've thought to somehow be a songwriter, a singer-songwriter, a dancer, and an actor, when just performing music... I've sought with each piece, bit by bit in the last 20, 30 years, to find a way to make that work. And performance art has always been a fascination. And performance artists most often do their work in their own way or in a, in a stream. For instance, the people, maybe 20 years ago, it was in to do lecture performances. And it's still uh, within that world in. I developed a couple lecture performance pieces that worked that worked wonderfully, and I could put them on in lectures instead of in a performance venue. So everyone was so relieved to have a lecture where I had toys and I had speakers and I talked and uh, was able to uh, behave within the lecture format. And learning bit by bit where that worked, I developed the this, what you saw in the last piece, which is... I dare to talk because I have a terrible time remembering text. I couldn't be a singer-songwriter because I can't remember the titles of my own songs. or my, I can't remember my own poems. And uh, I have to bluff a lot when I talk because I just don't have that kind of head. Mm-hmm. Whereas 
my husband is a singer-songwriter, and he can remember all his songs and, and his texts. That makes sense. You're an improviser. Very deeply. Yes. Yeah. So you remember the form and you know, like, the changes, but in terms of the particular words, maybe it changes a little bit every time. Yeah, and I remember the feel, and I remember the emotional quality mm-hmm. that I so desire to get across. And it's a, I think it's, it's a handicap and an advantage that I, people see that and feel it, but to keep track of all the technical details is, is something I've... I've had to work in mm-hmm. forming my own pieces. Right. But if you go back to the CD Speak that came out, I think, 2011-12, that has all these elements in it. It's just mm-hmm. I hadn't... I'm, I, I, I'm still putting together how to bring it even more blossomed to the public. Cool. <laughs> and I think it's really interesting... Um, thinking of your work in terms of this performance art tradition because I think in, you know, throughout the 20th century, I think a lot of people in theater, musicians, um, composers have sort of given lip service to this idea of breaking down a fourth wall, of somehow engaging the audience in new ways in which they feel a part of the experience. And it seems like your work does that very naturally. You're such a commanding performer and you have a way of like making some serious eye contact or speaking in such a way that really does draw people in and I think because of the nature of music and sound of how it can move bodies I think that it has a really interesting way of sort of breaking down those boundaries between the performer composer and the audience so that's just some observation that I had yeah and I I was talking when I gave the seminar uh, with David here Mm -hmm. we were talking about different ways that the voice is used and I like to use the information that I'm conveying verbally as also a way to confuse people. Because if you say something that has l- some layers and you look at someone, they feel compelled to, to, f- to have a response, and it, it, it takes them out of, you, I wouldn't say their comfort zone, it takes them out of receiving zone into a more proactive uh, part of the piece. Right. And I think there are maybe times when you say something and the tone of your voice might conflate the meaning a little or confuse the meaning. Yeah, yeah. Because so, definitely. Oh, some of the stuff, I'm confused myself. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Sid got up. She walked around. She had to run to catch her prey and escape her predators. She bore baby Joe. Sid could not work while she had the baby, so she put the baby down on the ground. Baby Joe felt abandoned and was not happy lying there all alone. Sid sang to baby Joe. They sang to one another through all those days of hard work. And then Joe got up. Joe liked to run around. The songs turned into conversations about now and later and before. And then Sid kept talking more and more and more. She used up time, she used up space. Sid's voice took up all the air. And Joe did not like to hear Sid talk like that. Joe wanted to hear herself talk too. And Joe wanted to hear Sid in the conversations they had had before. Sid had lost the on and off switch deep down inside of herself. And Joe took it upon herself to find that switch and fix it. She took the first two fingers of her right hand, put them into Sid's mouth, pushed past Sid's tongue, down into her throat until she felt her vibrate against her vocal cords. And then Joe slowly pulled Sid's vocal cords apart until they snapped and broke to pieces. And then Joe kept pushing her hand further and further into Sid's guts, looking for that place that she had known Sid before. And she pushed and she shoved her hand deep into Sid. And then she heard that Sid was silent. No conversation. Joe slowly pulled her fingers out of Sid and wiped the bloody guts off her hands.
guts and wipe the blood off. Maybe to change the subject a little, something I'm really interested in that we sort of talked about a little bit the other day is um, just that you've used different technology throughout your career, that it seems like technology has sort of always been a part of either your experience as a performer or as a composer, and you've sort of been a part of the evolution of really digital technology over the last 30 years. And I was just wondering if you could sort of speak to your experience and this evolution of using technology and sort of where you are now with that. And maybe I can follow up with this later, but what you find interesting or fascinating about using technology in your music. One thing was that back, mm, back even as an undergraduate, so that was in the 70s, it seemed, it seemed that technology was taking a, a role that would, like I like the same with with text that would expand the possibilities of how you could reach a performer could reach their their audience, in the sense that you're bringing information. Not, not necessarily um, IT, not necessarily software information, but hardware information, which is a piece of hardware into the view of the public showing that this is what we do these days. We can't ignore, I mean, if I could bring a car on stage, I would, because <laughs> we can't ignore that th these things are part of our life, although I don't own a car, <laughs> which is a great relief being in Europe. But when... I first started working with technology uh, more intimately was at the University of Illinois, and they had a strong, leading computer music program. So as long as I'm here, I can speak about someone who's here. I worked with Larry Polanski in, uh, as someone who could play with a computer or with what the computer spat out recorded. So it was still uh, fixed media in a way, 
not necessarily. And I found that my responsibility, because I can, and because I can understand it to a point, and I can keep using it as a way to share what um, nerds <laughs> and and the the general warm bodies in the public to to bridge that Be gap. Afraid. I so I yeah. I played super hard flute music, and I felt like I could also bridge that gap there. And so for myself, then what <laughs> the story I tell, my usual story, is I was playing. Well, for one, the uh, going back just a little bit, it, using a microphone was compelling because you could do more thing. I could do more sonic, have a bigger sonic repertoire voice with a microphone than not, especially being a flute player. I mean, one thing being a flute player, I could play with guys because if you pl if I play the flute with saxes and guitar players and drums, I can't be heard. One step with that is then even being amplified as a flute player, I still can't be heard. But if I process the flute sound, I can set up a sound that can always be heard. In fact, it could be so loud that it would shut them up. <laughs> and then we could get on with communicating again. <laughs> and I saw that as a tool that uh, I could use because I, I like playing with the guys. And you want it to be a two-way conversation. Yeah. I wanted right. to be part of the whole thing. Right. The other thing was in, in the new music, because that was more in the improv world, in the new music environment, in about 1992, I was playing in a festival, and there were, and so they brought me on as the flute player, and I played this hard part, and I had one pedal, this little pedal they gave me, and then back at the back of the hall were six earcom men and three desktop computers, so it was big men, big computers, and I was standing in front of the audience with one little pedal <laughs> in a dress. Knowing that the more I made a big action to do, you know, to hit that pedal, maybe I would look important. Because <laughs> otherwise, I was I was just a tool, and I don't think the the flute playing was as uh, deeply um, as as deep a passion for those guys in the back of the hall as the technology that they were in front of. So I saw my flute as, as a, a very small mechanism. I thought my dress was more important, <laughs> definitely, sure. in this performance. And so then my head turned and I thought, no, no, I have to bring my stuff, my own stuff on stage. Yeah. Even if I don't know how to do it as well, I'm just going to start dealing that way for p part of it. I mean, the nice thing about the concerts that I'm playing is I can play other, other people's music that do things I cannot do. You know, that mm -hmm. I cannot program in Super Collider. So it's a joy to play their pieces, mm -hmm. but also have pieces where I bring all my own stuff and I can run it. Yeah, And I want to emphasize, so like back at the University of Illinois, when Larry was, you know, writing pieces for you which, with HMSL, you weren't just playing his pieces. You also learned how to use HMSL yourself so that you could do something yeah. with it, too. I made one piece. Right. It's a pretty silly piece, but I made one piece and... Uh, I would drag a Mac Classic 
yeah, around. <laughs> and I actually had a hard case for it, and I took it on tour internationally. You go, girl. <laughs> and I, they would look at me, and I would slip people, you know, I would palm money at airports <laughs> saying, this, you know, this has to go on. The nitty-gritty of the musician's life, right? Yeah, yeah. Or the, I think some of those you could get in the overhead because sure. overhead was bigger. But I would drag, and I remember once going to Japan, and that was where I had a laptop. But it cost so much money to, and we only had one or two pieces. It was with a percussionist that used sound. And it was so complicated to hire a sound system in the classical music halls there that I brought my own amp. It was this little... um, Trace Elliott acoustic amp. It was this big, and I could get it in the overhead. I mean, now you, they, there's no way you could travel with um, what I did then. It was in the early 90s. Soon after the fall of the Berlin Wall, and Anne and I were already living in Amsterdam. We were heading out for a tour that was starting in Estonia, a country on the brink of revolution, and Anne was three months pregnant. We were booked for a festival in Tallinn, when Gorbachev sent tanks into Lithuania. And everyone seemed to expect the tanks to keep rolling until they got to Tallinn. Two Swedish labor union workers had been staying in our hotel the week before we got there. And one evening, they went down to a disco in the basement of our hotel where they met two nice Soviet girls and were found poisoned two days later. We arrived by boat from Helsinki and made our way to the hotel, a modern high rise which towered over the city. We avoided the disco and kept mainly to a barely lit bar on the ground floor. The first afternoon, we took a walk to the old city with our festival guide, a cheerful Tallinn local girl, an old circular wall with portals surrounded the medieval heart of the city. And in each portal, a large boulder had been carefully placed to allow only pedestrians through. We asked our guide if that was to keep cars from entering the city. She smiled and said, Not cars, tanks. They could be here 
any day now. That evening, we ate in the bar, and the wine cellar was excellent. A man came up to our table and introduced himself as Tennille. But you can call me Danny, he said. Like the song, Danny Boy. He smiled and then turned concerned. Have you seen the statue of Lenin in the big square, he asked. Yes, we said. He spoke in a confiding tone. You might dream of it tonight, but don't be concerned. To dream of statues signifies friends and loved ones. We thought about asking for the check, but then, he picked up my fork, inspecting it closely, as if it were a precious object. He turned it over and raised it up to the light. To dream of silver or gold points to an impeding situation. He took out a pack of Soviet cigarettes. May I, he asked, while lighting one. He closed his eyes and exhaled. To dream of a cloudy sky, he said, signifies you will be hindered. That night, we dreamt of all those things and more.
It seems strange that it in what we call the old days, we, we were younger. The old days, we were younger. They should have called them the young they days. They should have called them the young days. So anyway, back then so we anyway, had a duo. So anyway, back then we had a duo. A duo with loud amplified flute. A duo with loud amplified flute. And electric guitar. And electric guitar. And we played our own music. And we played our own music. And we thought that it sounded like and normal music. We thought music. it sounded like normal music. Music that everyone listened music to. Music that everybody listened to. But, but not, not everyone agreed. Not everybody agreed. Some people Some remarked, people remarked that, it sounded that it like sounded two songs like being two played different at once. songs being played Even at the same time. Even people we knew. One friend. One friend. I think, I think it, was it was the, the violinist. Malcolm Goldstein. Was playing with us once. And when we finished, when we he finished, said, he said, "I'm worried about your relationship." <laughs> We always started our set, with the, started our set song. with the same song, Black Whale. It was named, it was after, named a after a bar in L.A. In LA where, where we used, used to hang out. out. So I when I play played Black Whale, kind of I would play these part really big noodly things on the it flute. And then I would sing, and I would go higher and higher and, and higher while I sang. And I'd do this rhythmic thing, part. and then I'd just the be blasting. And and I couldn't blast and any louder, and I couldn't really sing any lower. So then what I would do, I'd just start all over again. We had, had another, another song, song, Bolero. Bolero, that wasn't really a bolero. We just called it that. We just called it we that because we were working with some dancers, with some dancers at, the time. at the time. One day, One day before, before a rehearsal, rehearsal, they asked for something they, asked for they, something could, warm that they could warm up to. But we didn't know, we any, didn't real know any real dance music. Dance music. So, so we, we said, said, how about, about a bolero? A bolero? <laughs> and the, so my part had two parts kind of to part it. On my string. So what I, I had this little microtonal noodles on a C, like with these complex fingerings, and then I had six notes, this microtonal thing that would I do in counterpoint to David, and he could count measures, but I can't count measures. I just start all over. So I would just start all over again. Our longest song in the set. Our longest song in the set didn't have a name. It didn't have a name before, before we played, we played it, live. it live. We, we did it. We did it for, for the, the first time in an art in an gallery, art gallery like this. Just like this, which was on the ground floor of which the building. Which was on the ground floor we lived in of the building we lived in at the at time. that time. And so the song consisted of like my all of our music. My heart was just two one ideas. idea in this song. And I start so with this, I was using this kind of whistle tone, and and then and I would, I would rub it on the strings and make like a big bow. fat multiphonics, and, and then the music sing. Would start so I'd very high and soft, fat and it, as sound. it went lower, and it I would, would blow get harder and, and harder, lower, and it would get and bigger louder and louder and then when I couldn't get any bigger, so then. I'd start, I just over. start all over again. <laughs> the first time, the first we, played time we played it, it, we barely knew what we, we were doing. We barely knew what we were doing. But when we finished, but when we, finished we, noticed we noticed that a woman that a, in, the front, woman row in the front row was crying. Was crying. So, so we, we named, named it, it after, after her. Daphne's song. Crying is a part of music. Well, crying is a part of music. 
But some, some people, people seem to only, to only like, the, like crying the crying part. And in different places, and in different places people, people will cry, will cry at, different, at things. different things. You learn that sort of thing on tour. You learn that sort of thing on tour. <laughs> One, time, One time in the late, in the late 90s, 90s we took our daughter, we took our daughter who was seven, who at, was the seven at the time on, on the, the road, road with us. us. And we, we did, did a lot of driving. A lot of driving. We drove, we for, drove days for days and days. And we listened to a lot of music. And we listened to a lot of music. Uh, we had a CD. We had a CD of Britney Spears, Spears that our daughter particularly liked. That our daughter particularly liked. liked. And maybe more than liked. And we listened, and we listened many, to it many, many times many to Britney's times. voice until Britney's we knew voice. every line, until we knew every, every line, word, every, every word. inflection and her every inflection. And we discussed in, and we great, discussed detail in great Britney's detail her singing, singing, particularly her intention and her state of mind, and her state of mind in, each song. in each song. When, for instance, when, for she, instance sang, she sang, whoops, I did it again. I played with your heart, got lost in the game. Was she really sorry? Was she really sorry? <laughs> did she, did she really, really feel, feel badly? badly? It was, it was hard, hard to tell. To tell. <laughs> but our daughter, whose name is Diamanda, said there was one moment where you could be sure, when you could be sure that, that Brittany, Brittany was telling, was telling the, the truth. truth. <laughs> that, that was, was when, when she said the she name, said the of, name her of her boyfriend in the song. And we, and asked, we asked, which, which song, song is, that? is that? But she, but she couldn't exactly she couldn't remember. Exactly remember. So, so we, we listened, listened to the, the CD, CD one more time one from, more the, time very from the very beginning. <laughs> and, and after, after eight, or nine songs, eight or nine songs, Brittany, Brittany began, to sing. began to sing. When your eyes say it, that's when I know that it's true. I feel it. I feel the love coming through. I know it. I know you truly care for me. That's it. That's it. Said, said our it. daughter. His name is Kev His name truly. is Kev truly. She, she sings, sings I, know I know that Kevin that truly, truly cares, cares for, for me. me. We all we agreed. All agreed. <laughs> The code had been broken. Brittany's secret had been revealed. And then Diamanda fell asleep in the back seat of the car. We turned off the music and we drove on. We drove through the night. We drove to the next city.
from what I know at least, improvisation is kind of a big part of your compositions. Um, And it seems like that's also integrated to your use of technology, that it sort of facilitates creating these systems um, in which you can kind of interact with. Yeah, it provides, well, it's a lot more fun than a pianist. (laughs) (laughs) Because you can retune it. (laughs) And uh, say, tell it yes and tell it no. But it does provide a a bed or it provides a a person to interact with and depending on how it's been programmed it allows me to have great freedom when I want it or need it but yet it can steer a piece in a direction that gives the piece form and it can it can just expand the flute in ways that give people sonic treats that we can't always do with an acoustic instrument. Uh, so I, I mean, one way I use it and have been relatively strict with myself is that I want it to be an expansion of the flute when I process. I, I resisted using delay and reverb until I got the Kima system because I was using a Nord modular. Even No, I had the Kima system when I was at Mills, hmm. but it was quite new to me. I, uh, because I thought that everything I did should be in real time, all the processing. I have since, because the Kima system has such sonic richness I have started using reverbs and delays and Mm -hmm. in certain ways or sounds that continue over time in my processing environment but it's yeah it's it's more that it's a the technology is a way to for for one keep my head outside of perfection, of being someone that learns and does things and perfects that more and more. Because expanding within the technology world, the technology is always changing. Even something you thought you got right with an update on the system, it could be wrong. And that, instead of always resenting that those things um, trip me up, I... I really work at embracing them as this is this is how our lives function. This is how we we live our our lives with human beings and now with all our devices and our ap- apparatus. Mm-hmm. I mean, I even play I play a flute that's a quarter tone flute. So, I play a flute that's a development of the the in the last 15 20 years. 15 years. Mm-hmm. And it's a way to look at even um, a vintage instrument has these possibilities to move in new directions. Yeah. That those things aren't fixed. They aren't fixed. No. Especially not technology. We all, we tend to rely on it and think that it's always going to be there and serve our needs in the way that it needs to. But as you know, every time you touch your phone or go up and give a lecture with a PowerPoint, there could always be some technical difficulty and you just have to find ways on the fly to deal with it. Yeah. And you're right. Embrace it. 
embrace it, work around it, mm-hmm. uh, try and still love your phone. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, don't you yeah. find socially that's the way you walk into a room and you're, yeah. you're sending out feelers thinking, this won't be the same as the last time I walked into the room. Maybe they don't like me <laughs> as much as I want them to. And so this, this is it's, it's somewhat the same emotional um, trajectory, but we just don't, we, we don't put it in the same category or, or uh, catalog it the same way. Yeah. Mm. Well, isn't that one of the things that's nice about the using the Kima system? Is that it's it's fixed, right? It's a oh, maybe I. It doesn't feel fixed. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> but I did want to talk to you about Kima. About but so what do you mean? Well, I don't what's know. What's your I, perception? I, I know much less about. No, it than no, both but say you. what your perception. Well, is, I thought because it was a hardware. It's, a it's like a, a piece of hardware, yeah. and I thought that meant that it it's not getting updates all the time. Like as opposed to like Super Collider. Oh, so people are constantly. I thought these machines were like off the internet. We oh, get no. firmware, yeah. firmware updates. updates. I see. Sometimes every two months. Yeah. Depending Ooh, okay. on how the how everyone's yeah. been working, it's it's the sh- it's shockingly active with yeah. updates. I, mm. All the other devices, I don't have that frequency of updates. Yeah. And not just the big updates. Say you're having a particular technical problem, you need to, you know, set up some sort of gestural controller, and the the sound object that you need isn't in Kima. You can go on the message board, and people upload new objects there, or you can met, send Carla an email. Carla Scaletti, the woman who um, wrote Kima, you can send her an email, and she'll just send you another sound object that will solve your problem. And you can now yeah. incorporate that into sort of how you use the system. So, or there was some um, when they started using what they call the multigrid mm-hmm. there was something in the in the random the way the presets showed their changing that wasn't working right and i said i sent her a whole series of screenshots and i said i i need to to have this information maybe i'm overlooking it and she she emailed right back and said no it's not working i'll change it yeah hmm. and that happened in october mm-hmm. Okay, so I, yeah, misperception on my end. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, to that end, uh, what what is it, ab- maybe you could explain to me what, what kind of appeals to you about that system in general as opposed to, it sounds like you have a lot of experience in Macs and some other things as well, programming languages over the years. I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, well, I learned what HMSL, HMSL back s- in the- enough. Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> I back in I, the dark ages. Yeah. Sorry. I'm not a computer programmer by career. I have limited time to invest in moving forward in programming. I have experience in Macs enough so that I use it for my housekeeping and I use it for some playback of sound files mm. and also scrubbing sound files so quite quite minor processing for the more complex processing what worked for me was the clavia system i started out with a micro modular they were about as big as a, a, a mini bread box <laughs> they were about as big as a, a little foot pedal and they used for their interface for the editing on on the computer they used what looks like a virtual analog synthesizer 
So it was plugging in presets to other presets, modules to modules, somewhat like Macs with objects, but more like what you see now on um, in Logic in Waves, things mm. that are little pictures that look like <laughs> you're plugging it in. And they came out with a rack mount version of it, because as a as a performer, I'm not interested in carrying a 30-pound keyboard around where I don't use the keys. And you'll, you see them, you know, on TV all the time, these Nord modulars. They're red, they're beautiful, right, right, yeah. happening. <laughs> what, what the rack mount did is it was much more powerful than the little one, and I could get sounds that just really didn't sound like anything else. And they were punchy, and they were fun, and they it was the gamut between um, noise and gorgeous little, not pitch following, but formant following, just like you can do with an analog synth. But the issue of it with the analog synth as being the model is that I couldn't run it over time. I couldn't really, I, I started to set up max patches that would control it via MIDI actively, but I had to have my hands on it a lot, I mean, or, or on the software. Whereas with the Kima, we have a timeline and we can set up a lot of sub-modulators that are much more complex than in the Nord. But really what happened with the Nord is I had my eye on the Kima, because I've known Carla hmm. since we were undergraduates together. And so I've kept an eye on it, but it's expensive, and it's it was harder to program. And I w was attached to my Nord, and it was working. They quit making the modular, hmm. and I went so far as to be scammed on eBay to oh. pay money because I was in such a state thinking I needed a backup. And then I realized I was not like I was out. I had somehow gotten into a really bad state <laughs> to have that happen. So I had to change systems. Hmm. Because if something would happen, there, there, I wouldn't have a replacement. So I sold it. Hmm. And uh, I bought the Kima and started this slow learning curve, getting it to work. And at first, the first thing I did was try to build I, relatively identical sounding patches is what I had on the Nord just to have a work method. And then since then I've done a lot more with it. Mm. But it's it sounds great. It has a, it's a, you know, it has a particular sound, but I play a flute that has a particular sound. And so you just uh, sign up, give in <laughs> to what's going on mm -hmm. with your stuff sort of like I can't dance and I can't <laughs> write songs. And so I can't program in Max and Super Collider to the level that I, I can get out of the Kima. Mm. Sounds great. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm interested in the Kima stuff. I could talk about it all day, but I don't, yeah. don't want to well, get you actually, Yeah, you it. have much more of an a in-depth vision and overview of it than I do. Sort of, but... It's there's so much there, and I think everyone uses it in a little bit of a different way. So I still feel like there's a lot more knowledge that I could have. Hopefully, will have. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think it's what I think is interesting about 
sort of what you've done with the Kima and or not like beyond with the Kima and what a lot of Kima users do is that they don't just learn the system. They dive in and become part of this community of other people that are using it. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know if you want to speak to that at all of not just deciding to learn the system, but in deciding to engage with the other people that were using it too, as you sort of confess that you don't necessarily like spending time with yeah. people. So why? Oh, at first I was yeah. completely isolated. Right. No one in Amsterdam had one that I knew. Oh, one person did, my colleague Yanis Kyriakidis. But he was using it basically for sign tones and a few other things. And I, it, I just had to learn it on my own. Because, you know, a lot of Kima users are embarrassed when they first start learning it because they can't quite get their head around how to engage with the community because they're embarrassed that they don't know something absolutely so they just keep trying <laughs> yeah. and trying and and I was I got it to run and I was using it and then I st started to look more on the website and and try to use more prototypes of other people and then luckily there was a con symposium is that what it is mm -hmm. their international symposium in Brussels so I brought so Shackle down. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, it was great because we're so gnarly. And a <laughs> lot of people using the Kima system, it goes, and we were just going. <laughs> so we, um, we were kind of a hit just because we are us. And I was able to reconnect and connect with people. Mm -hmm. And that opened up. A million doors for me and I tried at various times to take lessons with some of the Kima users mm -hmm. which gave me more an idea how broad the spectrum is mm -hmm. in the taste and abilities of the users so yeah now and I I've collaborated with a couple people building pieces and now I'm collaborating with another person Craig Veal oh you're collaborating that's awesome yeah what are you guys doing together he's the composer mm -hmm. But he wants to make a companion piece for Utter, which for me is great because then it would travel in a different way. And we're making, yeah, we're making a piece based on postcard communication. So are you actually communicating via postcard? Yes. <laughs> yes. As you're going to different places yes, too? Yes. Send I'm sending postcards to him. Wonderful. We decided that would be one way to have a, a different level of communication mm -hmm. than what's typical in building a piece together. Yeah. That makes me oh sorry. But but now but now I'm I'm much more fearless asking for help. What what my block is now is to know what I need help in. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to another person. I got some money to travel and and take lessons. And I can go and just watch how someone works and say I I think I need this but I'm not sure <laughs> and he'll say, "Oh yeah, well, I wouldn't do Oh, but maybe here." And so I can just learn by nerding together, <laughs> which is the best way. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And then maybe as you continue to do more pieces, new problems will come up and you'll realize you need new skills and that's how your knowledge will grow. And yeah, and instead of thinking I, I have to find new skills that I don't know what they are, I can specify what <laughs> skill I need. <laughs> sure. Absolutely.